Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to do something a little different this week. We have rewatched a movie that we've already talked about on the show, and we're going to do our first daddy deep dive. That means that this is going to be a spoiler-filled episode. Yeah. So if you don't want spoilers for the movie, please go watch it. We'll talk about what it is in a second. And then come back and listen to this. Or if you don't give a crap about spoilers and you're a real weirdo, go ahead and listen. <laughs> welcome, welcome, weirdo. <laughs> welcome, weirdo. Um, we're very excited to do this. And we have our good buddy, Ashley Meyer. I'm back. Hello. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to let Elliot talk about what movie we're going to talk about. We've been wanting to start diving into spoiler-filled episodes. And it was low-hanging fruit of what the first episode was going to be on. And it was... Our favorite film that we saw when we went to the Edmonton International Film Festival this year, and it's just been stuck with us ever since, we're going to be diving into 2022's drama of the year, I'll say, After Sun. It was directed and written by Charlotte Wells. This is her feature film debut, and hell of a hell of a strong start. It stars Paul Mescal as Callum and Frankie Corio as Sophie. And the synopsis is Sophie reflects on the shared joy and private melancholy of a holiday she took with her father 20 years earlier. Memories real and imagined fill the gaps between as she tries to reconcile the father she knew with the man she didn't. So we talked about After Sun on our regular show in a a very spoiler-free way, but it just has resonated with us so deeply that... We want we wanted to dive deeper into this and 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 talk and talk about this at length and get into the nitty gritty about it in ways that we just can't without getting into spoilers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's very special to have a, a film, a new film, come along and be so important to, I mean, all three of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we have we we're kind of going to be breaking. This, this is the first time we're doing this, and we literally came up with this structure right before we started recording. Yeah, over Ashley has pierogi pizza, pierogi pizza, <laughs> uh, and co-production from Ashley Meyer. Yes. Okay. Okay. Before we start, though, I just want to remind you once again that we are going to be talking about the plot details of After Sun from the beginning to the end. We are going to spoil it. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to hear that, we normally are a spoiler-free ethos. Then. Pause. Go watch as you should. It's amazing. Dip out. And then enter the spoiler zone. Yeah. The spoiler zone. <laughs> we are about to enter the spoiler zone, guys. Also, I have a feeling we're going to enter the cry zone. <laughs> yeah. So be prepared for potentially tears. And you know what? Maybe we'll surprise ourselves and we won't cry, but that's doubtful. Okay. With that being done, let's enter the spoiler zone. <laughs> All right. So to get into the spoiler zone, we're going to start talking about things we noticed in the film. Things that Maybe anybody could notice. What did you guys notice about After Sun on your second viewing of it? Let's dive into some characterization because I think that the thing that drives this whole movie are our two leads of mm-hmm. Sophie and Callum mm-hmm. and their relationship. They're a father and daughter, and it's made note of multiple times throughout the film um, that Callum is a young dad, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he's he's mentioned. I believe that he's thirty going on 31 Mm -hmm. so there's there's like a moment in here where there's these younger people that refer to sophie as his sister and even his reaction in that moment feels very he 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 seems upset about that Mm -hmm. and i i think that they do a really great job 
with setting Callum up as like, you know, he's this really caring dad, loves his daughter. He he wants to provide this trip for her mm-hmm. and give her this experience. And seemingly, if you've never seen the film before, the way that that's set up is like, oh, this is really nice. Mm-hmm. Like, it's great that he's wanting to spend this time and put all this effort into planning a trip for the two of them. And it should also be noted that that's kind of like, it seems like that's kind of like, one piece of contained time that they spend together. Like mm-hmm. um Sophie. Yes. Sophie. I was gonna call her Frankie. Um mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sophie like lives with her mom elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. kind of seems like once a year her and her dad take this vacation t- together. So they have this like small little slice of time together. And that's so the film is so much a character exploration of the character of Callum, but it's through Sophie's eyes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the film is opens with the question of age, right? It's the film mm. opens with Sophie asking her dad on home video footage. Like she says, I'm 11. I just, I recently turned 11. She says, you're 131 mm-hmm. going on, a, or 130 going on 131 in two days. So we can understand he's 30 going on yeah. 31. And she says, when you were my age, where did you think you'd be when you were your age? Mm-hmm. And that's what we open with as this home video footage. And we come back to it again later in the film. And Later in the film, it's as Sophie is like an older person, we can kind of understand that she is the age her father was at the time that they took this vacation. Mm-hmm. And she's going back and looking at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's talk then about the character of Sophie because this whole movie mm. is through her eyes, yeah. even though it is so focused on Callum. Mm-hmm. I love her characterization of the, the acting. <laughs> like she's just so accurate to any... 11 year old girl I've interacted with or to like my experience as an 11 year old girl it's like oh I feel that so deeply um and I you guys have mentioned um how deeply you connect to Sophie because of somebody in your own lives yeah we have a niece that's she's the oldest of our nibblings so we have an 11 year old niece and we have a niece who just turned one um Laura niece is 10 going on 11 in a couple months so Mm -hmm. right in this age Mm -hmm. right and this feels like her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. And it, it's to a, a degree that's heartbreaking mm-hmm. yeah. in this film. Yeah. But I, I was kind of thinking about that too. And maybe I mentioned this in uh, our regular episode when we covered this. Like, it not only feels like an accurate portrayal of an 11 year old girl, which I think it hits the nail on the head, but just as an 11 year old in general, just like mm-hmm. the whole mm-hmm. kind of idea of kind of finding yourself. Mm-hmm. And growing up and just kind of becoming a person. Yeah. Like you're you're looking to older kids that are above you and you're seeing what they're doing and you're starting to relate to that more, but you mm-hmm. don't know what your place is mm-hmm. within that yet. And that's so much of when, when you're watching Sophie in the movie, and this was something that I was watching for a lot on the second watch, so much of her interactions with other people or with other groups of people, she's a spectator. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like even if she's like in the middle of the water polo match or in the middle of the kids who are drinking or playing pool or in the middle of the kids who are all mucking around at the resort late at night, Mm -hmm. she's a spectator, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And it's that time where you're still kind of like taking it all in trying to figure out where you fit in the mix of that. Mm -hmm. She has this desire to be seen as older, I think. Mm -hmm. And and part of that is about then figuring out who you are so you can be a part of these older groups. But mm-hmm. she's so still a kid. Mm-hmm. I think the moment that encapsulates that so much for me. And the first time around, I just thought it was like a funny, cute line. But this time it really hit me 
is there's this whole scene where she puts on a bikini. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize she, like that she's because she's got a sundress on, on over top of it. And she's kind of like looking at herself in the mirror and adjusting the straps. And then she's down at the resort with her yeah. dad. And he says, why are you wearing your bikini? Yeah. And she goes, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like that sums it all up. It's the I don't know. I don't know why, I'm in, why I kissed this boy. I don't know mm-hmm. why I wanted to hang out with these kids. I just don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Well, and to what you were saying to Ashley about her kind of being a spectator, that's just like another, and this this is probably something I need to work out in therapy, but <laughs> like it just, it's another thing that I was able to kind of relate Ugh. to Sophie about in my own life yeah. now as an adult. Like when I get into social situations, mm. if I'm at a party or if I'm at some sort of event, I am that spectator. And yeah. I, there's this part of me that's like, am I going to present myself in a way that, you know, I want to be seen as cool or I want to mm, be seen as yeah. professional or I want to be seen as funny, whatever the thing may be. And so I just kind of end up internalizing all of those feelings mm-hmm. and just kind of hiding away with just by myself or with like people that are in my close circle that I know and that I trust mm-hmm. as a kind of a bit of a safety blanket because I'm just so nervous about how I'm going to come across. Right. Which is how I was as a kid. Mm-hmm. That's how I was as a kid as well. And I've yeah. carried that through yeah. to adulthood, um, which is a bit of a, a breakthrough for me right now. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I will be talking about <laughs> We're working through it. We're working through it. <laughs> You'll just send this episode to your therapist. Yeah. Why, Please listen. Why are you wearing your bikini, Elliot? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I think visually or symbolically represents that so well, this like, I don't know who I am yet and I'm trying to figure it out is the sunscreen. So we multiple times in the film see Callum putting sunscreen on Sophie's back. Mm-hmm. And there's a point in the film where she says, I'll just do it myself. Mm-hmm. But she can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he ends up helping her and you can see her kind of almost feel a little deflated by that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't I tried do it to on do my, the yeah, thing. And I yeah. couldn't. But then there's this really beautiful moment later on on Callum's birthday when they're at somewhere mm. specific i don't know where it is but it's like a, you put mud on yourself they're at yeah they're like at a mud bath in a river in turkey and um she puts mud on his back mm-hmm. because he can't do it on his own mm-hmm. right and it's almost like this really beautiful moment of it's not because she's not old enough to do it on her own mm-hmm. it's because we always are gonna need somebody to help us with the hard stuff well and if we want to get into that like there's so many of those moments and and maybe this is getting a little bit too much into like projecting like symbology and um, the, the like onto these things. But I'm also viewing that as like a metaphor for like mental health and like totally. helping oneself. Like, um, cause that's what we see Callum struggling with the entire film is yeah. trying to manage his mental health by himself. But yeah. he can't do that. Like we can't do that. We have to like help each other. We, we need somebody to put the sunscreen on our back. So put the mud on our backs. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. That's a, further down the podcast conversation to continue having. <laughs> but um, that that specifically was something that I kind of latched onto too. Yeah, because I think yeah. with Sophie, it's about this like, who am I? And I'm figuring myself out and I want to do that on my own. And through oh. so much of the film, her dad's trying to like teach her things. I want you to read this book. I want you to Learn the have- self-defense mm-hmm. move. Yeah. Oh, and all those moments hit me harder knowing where this film goes. And it's, you know, I, I believe the three of us have this. This film ends kind of ambiguously, mm-hmm. um, which I love. It's my mm-hmm. favorite kind of ending. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to interpret it for yourself. Mm-hmm. But 
when we watched it the first time and then and then we gathered in an empty shopping mall <laughs> and cried at the top of an escalator, we all had come to the same conclusion that sometime after this trip, Callum dies by suicide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I know that not everybody who's seen this film, that's what they thought, but I mm-hmm. think most people at least feel like he does die after this. Like, they they are no longer in each other's lives. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, that like, so much of that, then we recontextualize through this idea of he wants to teach her these things, and he, that this, these are the last things he taught her. Right, and he's making sure he knows them before he is gone. Yeah. Yeah. So when, like, it's the the idea of the sunscreen is, like, she just wants to do things on her own because she wants to grow up. And he just wants to do things on his own because he doesn't know how to ask for help with his mental health. Yeah. They're two different meanings mm-hmm. through this same symbol mm-hmm. and both really applicable to the specific ages that they are. Yeah. Well, and I was kind of thinking about it while you were talking about that. And the first and only time that we're introduced to Sophie's partner in the future, she like is on her back. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. s- like sits up in bed and her partner oh. like literally has her back. Yeah. And puts her puts her head on her shoulder. Yeah, and like <laughs> and like tells her happy birthday and says like I and and their baby, mm-hmm. like we hear the baby cry and the partner offers to go. Yeah, and she yeah. says no, I'll do it. Yeah. So there's that offer of support. Holy shit! No, freaking light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> and that's oh, that's what the entire experience of this movie has been since I saw it is, and I, I'm going to talk about this later, like in more depth probably, but. Those moments of realization when you're putting two things together and it's like, oh, that's what that meant. Mm-hmm. This film, I was, I wrote this in my letterbox review. It, it floored me. And if you listen to our first episode on it, you know, it floored, mm-hmm. it floored all of us. Ashley, you weren't there for that conversation, but we talked about I would have said all felt. the same things. <laughs> um, and I had a, like a slight fear that maybe I wouldn't feel the same way the second time. Like, I was, like, 99.9% sure that I would love it even more, but I was, like, mm-hmm. a little afraid that I wouldn't, that, like, the magic yeah. would deflate. Um, no, it, like, everything hit harder. Everything mm-hmm. made more sense. Mm-hmm. And maybe now's a good time to shift and talk a little bit about Callum. Mm-hmm. Like, characterization. Yeah. Yeah. For a lot of our second viewing, we all were just having big, heavy sighs of, like, oh. Even in the opening credits, like as the like company production company logos are are rolling, like we're just like kind of prepping ourselves. <laughs> I think we're just doing like a very like fast life flash before our eyes moment of everything we know we're about to rewatch, yeah, and preparing ourselves for that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I like for for Callum, like like I was saying, like I think it comes across that he is a very caring dad who cares mm-hmm. deeply about his daughter mm-hmm. and her well being and. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because of where this film ends up about preparing her for the future, because this is the these are the last moments that he's going to mm-hmm. have with her to mm-hmm. do that as mm-hmm. her dad. And I think like the the love and the care that he has for her is not lost. Um, and what makes the whole thing really tragic is just how how understated it is in, in him reiterating the importance of having a good trip that comes up multiple mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Of like we like we're supposed to have fun or we need to make this a good trip or mm-hmm, whatever that mm-hmm. is. I, I think that's just it, it seems so surface level in the beginning, but by the end, it, the importance of this trip just hits mm-hmm, like a brick. the gravity of it. Yeah, one thing that I really like because, like you said, it seems so surface level, 
um, like that um, what he's saying with like it's important we have fun we have a good trip and I think that that's so much of how Callum is characterized is there's things that he does and says like if you just watch his actions from afar they seem benign Mm -hmm. and mundane and banal when you start to watch him and pay attention like pay really deep attention to like those subtleties and just like that that flicker in his eyes or that Mm -hmm. like second of a grimace on his face like he there's so much like repression Mm -hmm. happening in his character so I think it leaves a lot to the viewer yeah to kind of um I don't know if it's like work with their own like empathy under but it's just like that puts you in Sophie's shoes right oh you're right you're right because he's so he's so internal with all of his thoughts and all Mm -hmm. of his feelings Mm -hmm. and while he does express some really nice things and some really honest things throughout the film to Sophie that Charlotte Wells does a great job of putting us in her shoes of like, we're not getting it. We're not getting a hundred percent transparency and honesty from the character of Callum or from, uh, for all intents and purposes, our dad in this scenario. So all we can do is try and try and interpret it ourselves. The meaning is only understood Mm -hmm. in hindsight only other than that. It's just like, yeah, yeah, dad, whatever. And even then, what do we really know? Mm-hmm. So there's this line in the book Life of Pi, Elliot's mm-hmm. favorite book of all time, but I teach it. And it can be a little difficult to teach because a lot of it is about religion. Mm-hmm. It's about faith. But I always say it's not about religion. It's about faith. Mm-hmm. And in the book, Jan Martel juxtaposes um, faith with agnosticism. Mm-hmm. So faith with a doubt mm-hmm. instead of faith with atheism. Like mm-hmm. he actually says atheism is a faith. Because you're still believing in something. Because you're still believing in yeah. something. And one of my favorite lines in the book, there's this whole section about belief. And he says, life is hard to believe, ask any scientist. Mm. Love is hard to believe, ask any lover. Mm. And I always say that to my students. I say, how do you really know someone loves you? Like we believe it. We mm-hmm. have faith in it. Mm-hmm. We trust that the person feels that way. And so at the end of the day we have to just trust our own interpretations of Callum just mm-hmm. like Sophie does. Yes, she can look oh. at it in hindsight, but there's no guarantee that that's what he was thinking. Yeah, And mm-hmm. she might look at it today and think it means one thing and look at it tomorrow and think it means another thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we can't know because he didn't say. And Charlotte Wells keeps that from us too. Mm-hmm. So we have to d- make our own determinations mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. And the, mm-hmm. and the device of using old camcorder footage of the trip mm-hmm. It's so easy to get wrapped up in that frustration too, because you see even in that opening clip where she asks, she asks him like, "What do you want to be when you're 11 years old?" But you immediately see the wall come up, mm-hmm. and you see that he doesn't want to talk about that stuff, and he's not going to let Sophia. In. And he asks her later in the film, in that same scenario, to turn off the camera, mm-hmm. and and we don't even get to see them in that scene. Like we see it through a reflection in a turned off television screen. I love that With shot. a little slice of Callum in a mirror behind the television. Yeah, and even that disappears. It does. Like, he in he moves out. in and out yeah. of it. Yeah. But just like a great visual way of just showing us that like Callum's, Callum's not letting us in. Mm-hmm. And everything that we have when someone isn't in our life anymore, whether that's from circumstance, choice, or death, mm-hmm. there's so many reasons that people end up not in our lives anymore. All we have is these kind of reflections of the past, mm-hmm. right? We don't have these clear cut 
Mm-hmm. And even the home home footage that we might have or the pictures that we might have or the mm-hmm. voice memos we might, like voicemails we might have or letters or whatever, mm-hmm. they're these snapshots in time and then we try and fill in the gaps Fragments, with our memories. Yeah. But even our memories are... Fallible. Yeah, and, and slices and mm-hmm. portions that are moved in and out of. And mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I feel like we're moving into film technique, but there's one thing I want to mention about Callum and I, I really noticed it this time is just he's this, he's duality embodied. Like he's protective of her and he's mm-hmm. also, it seems a little regretful of having had a kid. Mm-hmm. At least yeah. at the age he did. And he's really joyful and playful and yeah. yet deeply depressed. Yeah. yeah. And he's incredibly hidden. And then he has these moments of like honesty and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Like he's just those two messy things. And he kind of vacillates between them like he does in these shots of moving in and out of the frame. Mm-hmm. Right. Where like sometimes he's playful and sometimes he's totally closed off and sometimes he's open and loving and sometimes he's totally unreadable Mm -hmm. or hurtful. Yeah. Really Mm -hmm. hurtful. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he's incredibly like a a really present father. And he makes a couple of choices in this film. I'm like, those were dangerous choices. Like Mm -hmm. just being like, okay, well, my kid can stay out tonight. Yeah. Because I'm pissed off. Yeah. Like that's yeah, yeah. an immature mis- decision to make. Just yeah. be like, we'll come up in a couple hours. Yeah. When I'm drunk and can't keep an eye on you and didn't make sure, make sure you have a key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like something really bad could have happened there. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, he's all of that messiness entangled and who of us isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I think, the really tough thing about becoming an adult is we start to see that messiness in our parents which makes it hard to love them uncritically or hate them uncritically Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. we have to see that entanglement Mm -hmm. (sighs) let's uh let's talk about the 1990s (laughs) (laughs) that's the one part of this this movie that i can just like get really jazzed about so this is the happy part i mean it's just what i get excited about it doesn't make me have deep heavy sighs um Mm. the setting it's it's set up so well Mm mm-hmm and I mean, I've talked both of your ears off about this, but um, I'm a little bit younger than you guys, like just a couple years younger. Brag <laughs> <laughs> about it. I'm just really young. I'm basically a baby. <laughs> um, but when I was Frankie's age in the late 90s and I was on family vacation when I was at that weird age where I wasn't a kid and I didn't want to play with the kids, right? Like, like, um, like Sophie doesn't. Um, but I still for sure was not like a teenager and had no idea what the heck they were doing. Um, like that's that's the music that was playing like mm-hmm. Chumbawamba and Brand Van 3000 and the Macarena were playing in the background. <laughs> yeah. And I had my like original Game Boy Color, which like we, we see like there's a kid playing that like near the pool um, or even just like the style like and then like her getting like the hair wrap like I think every single one of us was walking around with one of those in grade three four yeah me too um, I'm just I think specifically because we probably fall into like the age the or the the, like, the age range mm-hmm. of Charlotte Wells and like how she's like setting this movie um, that hits so hard for me mm-hmm. and that is or a- for us I'm sure yeah mm-hmm. that's such an interesting thing that I wonder how that aspect of the film plays for people younger than mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. Even thinking about the home video, like home footage style of it, because who, like, whose dad didn't have a camcorder going all the time? And I think my dad had that same camcorder. The silver one yeah. with the flip out side? Yeah, my dad too. Yeah. I broke yeah. it and he got really mad at me. Yeah. I lent it to a friend and she broke it and he got mad at me for lending it to the friend without asking. Oh. <laughs> uh, sorry, dad, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, good context. If you've never listened to this show, oh, weird. Uh, but my dad's dead. So. And then Callum presumably dies at yeah, the end. We've so, had, like, this is a hard hitter for you. We've had a couple moments where that's come up with people who didn't know it. And then, really? like, well, one moment. When we were after the first viewing, oh. when like they were talking to us, I'm like, yeah, my dad's dead. <laughs> and everybody like they their eyes got wide and they kind of took a step back. Yeah. Like, oh, you're really not OK after this movie. Like, no. we're not OK, but you're really, I'm not, really okay. not OK. And like that's so I mean, <laughs> sorry to get into the dead dad stuff so early. We'll come back to that later. <laughs> this this movie is dead dad stuff. <sighs> this movie is dead dad stuff. But I am going to talk about that in a little bit more depth later Mm -hmm. and what that means to me in this film Mm -hmm. because it's really special. Mm. But the camcorder part of it, I wonder how that hits for, because that's so setting-based to me too. Mm -hmm. Like when we were that age, all of our parents had camcorders out, right? Mm -hmm. And specifically specifically my dad. My dad always had the camcorder out. Um, But for kids who are kids, like Ashley, you and me are high school teachers at the same school Mm -hmm. and – I don't believe that our students had camcorders. Their parents had cell phones out. Yeah. Yep. I would say so. And yeah. so I wonder to what degree this doesn't feel nostalgic for like somebody who's in their late teens or early 20s who's yeah. watching this. For sure. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like there's not because what I feel this film did really well is capturing the kind of play that happens when you have a camcorder and it's just <laughs> rolling and you're kind of giving your own narration and yeah. while you're documenting whatever's going on and you're too zoomed in on stuff. Yeah. And you're like a caricature of yourself yeah. or yeah. whatever other people you're seeing on TV. Yeah. And then you're yeah. just kind of like, okay, I'm done. Then you like shut yeah. the camcorder. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know how much of that. Like, I know there were some moments of Sophie recording herself that reminded me of videos that our niece has yeah. made of her recording herself yes. on her yeah. mom's phone. But like, I feel like that's, I, I wonder if that same degree of play has happened in a world where we have TikTok, where you are trying to like do something purposefully funny or you're, you're making videos with intent. Yeah. But also it's we're, not, it's, it's not as aimless as it want, once was with camcorders. To me, it's not even about that. It's about that the phone has so many other uses other than as a camera. Well, and it's out constantly. Like when yeah. we, when our camera came out, it was like, okay, pull out the big leather bag and unzip it. And is the battery charged? Is there tape in <laughs> and it? hello, I'm going to perform for this camera because right, exactly. the camera's out. And you exactly. can't immediately delete it. And mm-hmm. if you want to immediately rewatch it, you you like, or then you have to fast forward mm-hmm. it again. Mm-hmm. So it's not the same degree of like, I took a picture, look at it. Or like, yeah. I took this cute video, watch yeah. it. And I, yeah, I'm just wondering if that, to what degree that hits harder for us then. Or if it would still play well. I think so. Because even I look at things, like, because I I strongly believe that you can be nostalgic for a time you didn't mm, experience. Like, totally. you know, pe- people who are, like, really drawn to, like, oh, I wish I lived in the 60s or, like. Uh, are you making fun of me right now? <laughs> no. Uh-huh. uh-huh. No. No. Um, I'm, I'm like that, too, though. Don't worry. Um, but, like, I think, yeah, you can be nostalgic for a time totally. you didn't necessarily live through. I just think that it hits really hard Grass, if you yeah. were there because you're like, that's exactly what it was like. And I think with trends, too, that comes back around because, like, I mean, I feel like on a first kind of glance, the 90s fashion has come so full circle and back <laughs> yeah. into style. And we that, see teenagers like, every day. That, like, the, yeah, the yeah, fashion, yeah. for the most part in this film, feels like it could fit in right now in 2022. And... Sorry, side note, but that t-shirt that she's wearing that has like kind of like the waffly texture to it that's mm. like green and blue striped. Mm. I swear to God, I had the exact same t-shirt. <laughs> Probably. I swear. Probably. Yeah. 
then I feel with that too comes the nostalgia for certain things. I mean, like the way that Polaroids came back or Mm -hmm. the way that vinyl had this resurgence Mm -hmm. kind kind of thing. Like I feel like some of the tech or some of the things that were- lack of tech, like just a world without cell phones. Yeah, or like the way people Mm -hmm. are about vintage cameras and like wanting to- wanting to like snap those up like the novelty of them exactly like i can totally see you know a a movie like after sun inspiring people to be like you know i want to pick up a camcorder like look for a camcorder or something Mm -hmm, like that mm -hmm. you know i think i feel like that kind of can inspire people yeah but on top of it being like this hyper specific time in the late 90s Mm -hmm. i do think it captures incredibly well that feeling that like summer vacation brings Mm. of just aimless well it's the voice that's telling you this should be fun we should be having fun but it's a lot of just sitting around doing nothing and kind of after a few days you run out of stuff to talk about with your parents and maybe (laughs) they start to get on your nerves a little bit and you're all starting to get a little bit tired and maybe even a little bit kind of like sunstroked and things are just a little bit hazy yeah it's that haziness that and that not quite sure what day it is what time it is Well, it's almost a, like being on another planet, too. Totally. And it's, you know, it can feel like that on vacation, but it can also feel like that just when you're home for the summer. Mm. Yeah. Which we know as mm. teachers who are home in the summer. Uh, there's you a, have summers off. <sighs> it's great. <laughs> I feel aimless and lost for two months straight. <laughs> I feel like I'm a kid again, but not in a fun but way. But my mom's not here. <laughs> <laughs> there's a great um, Canadian graphic novel that captures this really well too it's one of my favorite things i've ever read called this one summer Mm. by mariko tamaki um and it and then illustrated by jillian tamaki their cousins i believe Mm. and it captures that hazy summer feeling Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's it's that age as well like that preteen age Mm -hmm. um really well so if you like after sun and you want to keep that feeling going this one summer is a great way to do it or if you just want to hurt yourself with more of that feeling (laughs) it's also really sad that's it's kind of interesting because this has kind of got me reflecting on kind of both sides of it you know like when you're a kid you're just like your vacation's planned for you and then you you Mm. are being pulled into like all these things that your parents want want you to do and and but as you get older, you start taking on that parent mindset of like, if we're going to go somewhere, we have to plan everything and we have to be doing something yeah. and we don't want to just be sitting in the hotel or the Airbnb the whole mm-hmm. time. We need to be doing something mm-hmm. and we don't allow ourselves necessarily the downtime that we might need because we need to make the quote unquote most of the trip. We need to have fun. And yet it yeah. ends up happening anyway. Like I think about when we have our niece who's 10 over for a sleepover, it's like, okay, well, we're going to make sure we eat a nice dinner and then we're going to take her out for like a treat and then we're going to watch a movie and she's going to get to pick the movie and then we're going to go for a walk. But half the time we end up just kind of like sitting at the kitchen table Mm -hmm. being like, I don't know, what do you want to (laughs) do? Yeah. This is a tangent, but there's a story, I think think it was on Oprah, another like late 90s throwback. (laughs) Um, But it was... um, It was a story about this family and the mom had terminal cancer. I I believe I'm kind of just like saying this all from memory or from like what I remember I took from it. But this mom had terminal cancer and um, to make the last few months um, with her kids and her husband really memorable. I think they like they they went to Disney World for like a really extended period of time. They like stayed near Disney World. But because the mom was so sick, like they couldn't go for a long time every day, that kind of thing. Um and then after the mom had died, Oprah had 
the daughter on her show and she asked her like what was your favorite part about those last months with your mom and she said the cheerios what do you mean and i guess um the only thing that the mom could really like keep down was cheerios so um when she like couldn't get out of bed like the kids would pour her a bowl of cheerios and come and like sit in bed with her and they would eat cheerios together Mm. and and that's that's what they remember and that 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 is what you remember like that's what life is made up of is those like mundane in between yeah, the suntan moments. lotion the suntan lotion exactly the, mm-hmm. the we're laying on our sun chairs looking at the parachuters mm-hmm. right what are those mm-hmm. called parasailers parasailers right yeah. like it's those little moments and the film allows those moments to linger like what i remember most my family used to rent a house in sylvan lake every mm-hmm. summer before my parents divorced and I have three siblings. So that's a lot of us in one small little mm-hmm. like pretty small house that we could afford to rent. Um, and so I slept in a loft, which I loved, mm-hmm. but nobody else wanted to be there. What I remember most from those vacations is ha- listening to Avril Lavigne on my Discman in the loft. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't really remember much else. Yeah, I remember yeah. playing mini golf. Yeah. I remember getting ice cream and I remember listening to Avril Lavigne on yeah. my gold Discman in my loft. Do you know what I was listening to on my desk on my family vacation when we were camp? Because my family camped, so we would go camping for two weeks. What'd you listen to? I remember sitting on a like a fold-out chair on the beach. <clears throat> and not really the beach, like a like a like a mountain lake beach. So it was like rocky. And I was wearing a sweater. I was listening to the black eyed peas. <laughs> <laughs> Your humps? <laughs> it was literally that album. And I remember and that that's the thing. I was at eleven year old and I was like listening to it, being like, oh, what is it? What's what a hump? What's a lovely lady lump? <laughs> yeah. Why I don't know I what it means. It <laughs> it's provocative. It gets the people going. It's so you know? that's so that's so true though. Like thinking about my trips, it's all the downtime you remember. Mm-hmm. Like I remember yeah. trips like going camping and listening to a bunch of like Blink One A two albums mm-hmm. on one trip and then mm-hmm. listening to like Gob and like Goldfinger and like a bunch of that shit on yeah. another trip. And that those are the things that immediately like bring my mind to that trip yeah. it's just sitting like at the yeah. table doodling listening to yeah. music on my discman which the first, my the ahead. first time that my family took like a like a beach vacation um or, like one of the first times we went to we went to mexico and that was that's my big memory is like sitting in the back of the car and it's dark mm. out because we would always like you would drive early in the morning somewhere and then you would kind of make the most of the day and then after the sunset it's like hey let's go back to like the hotel or the the condo or whatever um yeah and sitting in the back of this car in a country that i was really confused in because i didn't know the language and i like i was just having kind of like culture shock having been this like kid from a small town in alberta mm-hmm. and now being in mexico and sitting in the back of this car like watching the lights go by and listening to yeah alexis mm-hmm. on fire on my mm-hmm. on my i think by then it was an ipod classic an oh. internet pod an internet pod classic yeah. <laughs> but i think that i so appreciate that this film lingers in those moments and then mm-hmm. it's those big punctuated moments we remember too. And it's kind mm-hmm. of that connective tissue that's missing. You know, it's all of the like really mm-hmm. things happened, but they weren't big enough to remember or aimless enough to remember the feeling, but maybe not what actually happened. Mm-hmm. So can yeah. we sing Charlotte Wells's um, praises a little bit and talk about like the mastery of how she put this film together? Yeah. Well, one of my absolute favorite things, and this is something that I sometimes struggle with, because I don't like getting to the end of a movie and being like, I don't know what that was about. What just happened? She does not feed the narrative to you. Not at all. At all. There, there is no, re- like, there's no real, like, direct action or narrative in this movie. 
it's a lot of these like subtle moments that she then trusts her audience to string together and understand. And I think that she does it like be- because she is so good at doing what she does. It's successful and it works. Well, it's kind of like what you were just saying, Kylie, and what we were just talking about is she gives it to us as if they're memories. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way the movie plays. It plays as if it's a series of memories and some of them are kind of broken or incomplete Mm-hmm. And some of them are fully drawn out and realized moments that are obviously moments. Like this movie is essentially told to us through Sophie's lens without us kind of knowing it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like all of these moments, they're they're not spelling things out for you, but you're able to gather the the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions that are coming mm-hmm. from Sophie and that we're getting from Callum. And yeah, it's 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 not cut and dry. It's definitely up for interpretation. And mm-hmm. while it's not too heady or anything like that, it's still mm-hmm. approachable and very human. Well, it's feeling based, right? And yeah. I think by making the film Sophie's memories, mm-hmm. and we all have memories, and the older we get, the more I think we understand how unreliable our memories are and mm-hmm. how they fade and how they change and mm-hmm. how we get it wrong. By using that device of memory, which we all have, it kind of gives us permission to just trust what we feel. Mm-hmm. Whereas some other artsy films, mm. I come away being like, well, what did the director want me to feel? Right. But it's almost like Charlotte Wells tricks us into allowing ourselves to trust our guts about how we feel. Because mm-hmm. each of us came away being like, I have a feeling about what this film's about. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we all just trusted it. Mm-hmm. so one of the things that was so brilliant like seeing this a second time and my fears being assuaged that it, I wouldn't appreciate it as much is how purposeful everything is mm-hmm. everything and so the very first shot yeah. being that or the very first scene being that home footage that we come back to later of Sophie recording her dad and asking him when he was 11 I didn't notice this the first time but this time around I noticed that in that shot there's a reflection of old Sophie when she pauses the camera. Yeah, I saw that too. What? Yeah. It's oh, I didn't yeah. catch that. Friggin' brilliant. So she pauses the camera before oh. she rewinds it and we see all of the like, this like mishmash yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and just yeah, yeah. briefly yeah. before she presses mm-hmm. rewind, yeah. Yeah. it's a, it's her reflection Yeah, yeah. that we then see again at the end of the film. Yeah. Which then makes this a frame narrative yeah. where like we start and end the film in the same place. Yes. Yeah, And what we can can come to understand is that the entire film mm-hmm. has been Sophie at age 30, 31, mm-hmm. looking back on this home footage and accessing her own memories mm-hmm. to try and make sense of who her father was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it's also spliced with, I really like, there was an article on Slate written by Sam Adams which is also a type of beer. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, and he he pointed to the 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 setting as well of like the the past, so like the the footage, the memories, the present, so like thirty something year old Sophie looking at it, and then also this is I think one of my absolute favorite parts of the film, but that interspersing of the like disco scene, mm. um, and what he what Sam Adams calls this is the imagined liminal space. Mm-hmm. where Callum and Sophie can finally meet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the place in her mind where she's kept him all these years. 
hundred percent. Oh, this is where it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna start. Well, something that I noticed this time was the moments where it cuts to those scenes and like what we saw directly before it mm-hmm. cuts because yep. I I understood the first. It's so interesting because the first time we watched it, I felt so much tension. Like I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. 100%. Like what's going to happen? Is he going to yeah, hurt her? Yeah. Is there something darker going on yeah, here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I was stuck to wondering if that was going to be a narrative moment. Like in my yeah. head, it's like we're watching somebody like dancing in like like a rave or a disco setting, and it's or whatever. actually going to like, happen. Oh, is he about to have an overdose? Mm. Right. Like I'm, I wasn't. I hadn't recognized that yet as like the void. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. knowing that this time and seeing the moments where we cut mm-hmm. to that. And how it's almost like these moments where she's really, like Sophie at age 30, 31 is mm-hmm. really being like, so what was going on with my dad in that moment? And I wish I could ask him. Mm-hmm. And that's something as somebody with a dead dad, mm-hmm. that it's the most mundane thing. This is where I'm going to start crying already. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like one of my most memorable ones. <laughs> We've got two boxes of Kleenex for you guys. Thank you. Um, is Elliot and I were watching... Blue Velvet by David Lynch. Mm-hmm. And my dad loved Heineken beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in it, they drink a lot of Heineken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, the film just seems so up his alley. And I just remember feeling devastated that I couldn't ask him if he's ever seen it. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. just being like, did dad ever watch Blue Velvet? I'll never fucking know. Yeah. There's no one around who knows the answer to that. Yeah. And I can't call him up and be like, hey, dad, have you seen Blue Velvet? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so those moments in the film, it seemed to be those moments where she's really like, I wish I could ask you mm-hmm. what you were thinking about. And you're yeah. gone, so I can't. All I yeah. can do is try and figure it out. And I think it like you can interpret those scenes as that. And I kind of almost saw them as these moments because of where those sequences sort of build to is where eventually uh, 30-year-old Sophie is kind of yelling at and pleading to her dad. So it's almost like she's looking, she's going through all of this footage. Mm-hmm. She's she's watching all of this footage and then she just kind of gets interrupted by these moments of like, she's in that space with him in mm-hmm. the disco space. And she's like, why are you here? You didn't have to be here. Mm-hmm. But and, also, why am I here? Yeah. Mm, and that's, if we can get into that, like oh that part of the film hits me particularly hard is watching, like obviously we're watching Callum um, go through and live with severe depression and then you start to see the moments where it is maybe starting to raise its head Sophie. in Sophie like mm-hmm. the moment where she says like do you ever just feel down like your bones are like you've had a really good day it's a really fun day and you get home and your bones are just tired mm-hmm. right and that's that's you, it yeah and you see him recognize that's how I feel all the time and then mm-hmm. what I, in that moment to recognizing like what he's I mean like not that there's like a fault in this like it it's it's hereditary or it's it, it's whatever but as soon as she says that like he stares in the mirror and then he spits at his own reflection mm-hmm. and he doesn't and clean then it up. she just watches his spit like trickle down and the camera pans out to them leaving and then it Almost, it feels like it's fading to black until it brightens up. Mm-hmm. And we've panned back to this just like slice through the doorway mm-hmm. of the mirror. We can just see part of it with the spit on it and it brightens back up because it's the next morning and the spit's still there, dried mm-hmm. on there. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in that scene too, like she's kind of 
expressing how she feels and feeling down. Mm. And then he makes the comment again, which comes up multiple times throughout the film that like the trip is supposed to be fun. We're going to have a good night. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And then that's almost him. Like I, I felt two things watching mm-hmm. it this time in the, in this scene. He's asking the question of, am I that like this trip is supposed to be a memorable thing, a positive mm-hmm. thing for Sophie. And like the last time they're together and he's kind of questioning himself and saying, like, is he failing at that? Mm-hmm. Is he is he wrecking what his he like this has to work, this has to be positive, this has to be good. And then the other side of it is maybe that fear coming out of like, I had this kid so young, I'm fucked up, and now she I'm, is too. I'm and now she's showing signs that she's well, also fucked up. And if that's the response he has to somebody else when they're expressing like, Ugh, I feel kind of depressed, like if that's the same expectation that he's placing on himself, like this is supposed to be fun. This was supposed to be a good time. This and I don't feel that way. And I don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that just make the burden of what he's carrying like, so much heavier? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's coming back to like, Elliot, you light bulbed us with that. The difference between Callum and Sophie is she's letting somebody have her back as mm-hmm. an adult. Mm-hmm. So we can trust that she's going to get through this. She mm-hmm. has depression too. She has trauma too. Mm-hmm. But she has someone she's telling about it. And like mm-hmm. Charlotte Wells doesn't have to tell us that. We mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? She has somebody who she will let have her back in a way that Callum isn't able to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the other things I noticed is one of the like really intense cut scenes. There's heavy breathing. Um, there's also this in the background, there's a sound of an ambulance. Do you guys notice that this time? When? It's during one of the like cut scenes with like the in the dance club. And it's yeah. when he's like flailing and it's like super mm. hyper close-ups and he's breathing really heavy. And then really faintly in the background, there's an ambulance sound. Mm. I didn't hear that. No, which like to me felt like confirmation that he died in a really tragic way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then it kind of I think that's a moment where we fade into like Sophie in the present. Mm-hmm. And and then there is it is a diegetic sound of like an ambulance in the streets. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it's it's there, and then later on we have this this sound of like a baby wailing, and it's mm-hmm. kind of paired with this, like mm-hmm. the sound of the ambulance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Another sorry, just to go. But I was having my my gears returning while you were talking about that. Just to go back to what you said about um, us being able to trust that Sophie has somebody to like have her back and won't kind of go into the void the same way Callum did. I think that's also confirmed in that last shot of the film because it, it's almost kind of set up like they're facing each other mm-hmm. when he's in that hallway and then he turns around and goes back into the void alone. And she doesn't. And yeah. she does not. She like kind of watches him exit. So I know we're going to talk a little bit more about some moments that were really personal to us. But before we do, I want to read um, Charlotte Wells' letter that she wrote. Have you read it? No. Is it's, this her A24 uh-oh. letter? Yeah. It's quite short. So I think we can okay. read the whole thing. So yeah, yeah. do it. Charlotte Wells wrote this it's on the a24 website and we'll link to it because it's beautiful mm-hmm. so it says dear movie lovers i hope this finds you well willingly subscribed and not spammed ordinarily i'd be in therapy on a tuesday afternoon <laughs> but this week i'm on a plane listening to the tinder stick soundtrack to stars at noon en route to la for the october 21st release of my first feature after sun and writing to you it's a surreal situation on many counts so please forgive what follows memory is a slippery thing details are hazy fickle the more you strain the less you see A memory of a memory endlessly corrupting itself. 
I've caught myself recently claiming that feeling is more robust, but it's tricky. Because in recalling a point in time and how that moment made you feel, it is framed by a new feeling. The feeling of what that moment means to you now. In Turkish, mm. a language rich in vocabulary not easily rendered into English, hazret means some combination of longing, love, and loss. It seems particularly appropriate in this context and to this film. Afterson is about a young 30-year-old father and his 11-year-old daughter on holiday at a resort in Turkey in the late 1990s. It is told, subtly, through the point of view of the daughter, Sophie, as an adult 20 or so years later. A memory of intimacy from a point of distance. Hazret. Truthfully, I don't want to say too much more about it. It's best experienced without context, without having seen our gorgeous trailer, and with mm. patience and an open mind. It accumulates to a feeling which I found myself best able to express through the language of cinema. Cinema. <laughs> That's what she puts in brackets. <laughs> and not in words or by any other means. And there is room for you in this film, too. I hope you can take it, feel it, in order to feel it. Mm. What I will say is that Aftersun is not mine alone. It was made by the combined efforts and talents of many people, among whom are some of my closest creative collaborators and friends. They elevated the words from the page, and the pride and gratitude I feel for their work is immense. Collaboration is what makes filmmaking so special, and through collaborating, the process of making this film gave me the clearest sense of purpose and joy. To make it was a privilege I never took for granted, much like the opportunity to share it with you now. Before I sign off, the elephant on the page is the degree to which Afterson is a personal film. Mm. Most films are, of course, but this film more than even those most. The essence of what I have to say about this is held within the 145,440 frames on screen. This film is unmistakably fiction, but within it is a truth that is mine, a love that is mine. Photos, videos, records of different types are enclosed in the film, and so it felt appropriate to enclose one here. A photograph of my dad and of me, the starting point for this project, each a single shot because photos of us both are in short supply in that pre-selfie era. I am 10 or 11, Sophie's age in the film. My dad is 31 or 32, a little younger than I am now. We happen to be in Turkey. Sincerely, Charlotte. And then it says, P.S. from T.S. Eliot. At the still point of the turning world, neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor towards, at the still point, there the dance is. But neither arrest nor movement, and do not call it fixity, where past and future are gathered, neither movement from nor towards, neither ascent nor decline, except for the point, the still point, there would be no dance, and there's only the dance. <laughs> Everybody's crying. <laughs> Damn it, Charlotte. <laughs> I love, I, on a side note, I love that A24 does these letters from mm -hmm. their filmmakers. They're so beautiful. <sighs> I think with that, let's move into something I'm really excited to start diving into. And we're going to talk individually and in a shared conversation about what stuck with each of us uh, from After Sun. So I'll, I'll, I'll kick us off. <laughs> <laughs> um, something that stuck with me after having seen it twice now is just the way that this film chooses to navigate tone. And we've kind of touched on this a little bit. But it kind of when you watch it for the first time, you don't know the direction that it's going on and you don't know what kind of tone you're in the mood or what you're in store for. So like, for example, one of my favorite scenes and one of my most favorite comedic scenes I think I've ever seen is the bread throwing scene <laughs> in this film. It cracked yeah, me up both times yeah. I've seen it now where they're, where they're at the performance or the performance of the Macarena by the, by like the hotel staff mm -hmm. and they chuck bread at them and run away. It, that's hilarious. But then there's like, 
this moment, you know, this very visceral scene where Callum's removing his cast and like he cuts himself with the scissors mm-hmm. and like the whole time he's trying to remove it you're 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 kind of like oh you're you're being like really rough mm-hmm. with with trying to do that and like should you be removing the cast like mm-hmm. it, it wraps you up in this very uncomfortable emotion and then the interactions with the teens for me the first time we saw this I'm like I really hated the movie mid 90s and I don't like it <laughs> when like young kids get like sexualized in that sort of way and mm-hmm. i was starting to worry that this is where this was veering with sophie mm-hmm. interacting with the older with the older teens in this and then when you're confronted with the reality of everything at the end of the film it paints this whole nother picture and it it completes this picture but it also i think it's a a big reason why this sits with you and resonates with you for so long because you weren't sure what kind of journey you were on for so much of the film until it ends and then you kind of have to reckon with all of that at the end of the film and then which is true of when you lose someone right like yeah you don't know you're gonna lose them there's another quote from that same sam adams article on slate and he he opens it um by asking the question like when was the last time you saw your dad and um you know like when you're living with your dad and like your mom comes in and it's like, when's the last time you saw your dad? It's like, oh, is he at the grocery store? Is he in the backyard? But if you're someone who has lost their father, when was the last time you saw your dad becomes, when was like the last, last time you saw your dad? And that totally changes the lens through which you view that interaction and everyone before it. Well, and what the film effectively does through that. Through that, the first time you see it, not knowing what's going to happen is like, that is life when you lose someone. You don't know that's going to be the last time you see You don't have the hindsight. Mm -hmm. Like the last conversation I ever had with my dad was, I'm so lucky because we weren't on the best of speaking terms for the last like three and a half, four years of his life. We Mm -hmm. had a really rocky relationship and we were working on rebuilding that, but he was not very good at putting the effort in, which... It strikes me that Callum could be that person too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the day Elliot and I had moved in together and he happened to run into Elliot's dad. Kismet on this show, right? Um, at Shoppers Drug Mart in our hometown and Elliot's dad had helped us move and he just happened to be like, hey, I moved our kids in today. And so my dad called me and Ooh. it was like, we had just moved in. Like we just brought our cat home. We were really busy, but he was like, Hey, I heard you moved out. Like, what can I bring you? Can I buy you a George Foreman grill? And I was like, no, I have one. And he's like, do you like beer? What kind of beer do you like? And I said, I like Corona. He's like, I'll buy you a case of Corona. I want to come out. And I, I wanted to get off the phone because I was like, I just moved out. And you never call me. And we're still working on rebuilding our relationship. But the last thing he ever said to me was like, he never met Elliot. Elliot never met him. It was just like, thanks. Thank Elliot for taking care of my little girl. And then he told me he loved me. And that was... I had no idea that's the last time I was ever going to talk to him. And I'm really lucky that was the last conversation I had with him. It feels faded that, like, he should just randomly run into Elliot's dad randomly on the day that we moved out and then pick up the phone and call me, which he never did. And kind of give you, like, this wish for this new part of your, this new, like, chapter of your life. Yeah, like. That's become, like, such a. Like major, like it's yeah. become like the like main chapter. <laughs> it's really special, but like you don't know. No, like I no, didn't no, no, know no. that was last time I was ever going to talk to him. 
and the film does that to us, right? Like, we don't know we're going to lose him. Like, we don't know yeah. we're going to lose Callum. Yeah. And it feels like we lost someone. And I think that's maybe what's, like, just kind of in our conversations. And, you know, like, the 24 hours after we watched this movie, like, it felt... Um, it felt like exactly kind of like what you just went through, like recollecting just kind of like with that hindsight. Um, I think that's kind of the main thread that stuck with all of us in this film was being given that last piece of the puzzle and then having to spend like, Mm -hmm. like I think over the next 24 hours, every, like all of us were constantly reevaluating like that film that we had watched and viewing every angle of it in a new light and having these realizations of like a whole new gravity of every single little detail like him cutting off his cast he was he was cutting off his cast because it didn't matter how his arm healed he was he wanted to die Mm -hmm. it didn't matter how his arm worked in a week and he wanted to be able to enjoy the vacation and the cast was getting in the way of that right or the first day when they show up i'm pretty sure that so for sure they they buy the camera for the vacation because you see them unpacking it in the in the hotel room so like even even like the the act of buying the camera, like he is buying that camera to document their last vacation together before I think what all of us believe happens is that he dies by suicide. Um and even like in that first like in one of those first scenes when they're like walking up to the to the hotel, like Sophie's carrying the plastic bag that has mm-hmm. like the camera. I'm pretty sure the camera, mm-hmm. like that's mm-hmm. what the camera box is in. And yeah, just when you're given that final piece and you look back at all of those different um, details, it just gives you so much to reckon with and so much to come to terms with. And in, in, the, in the same way that, like you said, you have to do when somebody dies. And I mean, I think it's true even when you haven't lost someone. Like there are conversations I would love to have with my mother that I know she'll never have with me. Yeah, And I will just have to reckon with like what I th- – and as I get older and I reevaluate a moment or a detail I know about her life, or like friends where I'm like they're they're not ready to have those conversations and maybe they never will be. I hope I hope so. Like we can have that hope when someone's still in our life that like maybe one day we'll be able to have this conversation, but when you've lost someone specifically to death, you know you can't ever have that conversation and all you can do is relive that moment that seemed fun the first time and in retrospect there was more going on and and the film creates that for us. The first time you watch the film, like to go with Elliot what stuck with you is the first time I felt so tense and then these moments of like relief with the humor and this time I didn't feel tense. I just felt sad. I just felt like, and then the happy moments weren't as happy as they were the first time they were more because it was like a relief and a humor the first time and from that tension. And this time it was like, Oh, that was a happy moment, but we know what's coming. I feel like on a rewatch, you're even more in Sophie's shoes. Oh, yeah. Because you know Mm -hmm. what you're going to be watching Mm because she does Mm because she's watched this. Mm -hmm. I mean, she, we, she makes a point to watch it on her birthday. So yeah. you can maybe assume that she does this every birthday that she revisits this footage. And yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's exactly it. You just feel sad because you know everything that's going to happen and you're just recollecting this, tri- this final trip that she took with her dad. And it's so, yeah. it so masterfully creates that feeling, right? Because that story I just told everyone who's listening for the first yeah. time and Ashley that you all for, told for the first time. Elliot, you've heard that story many times. I've relived that last yeah. conversation with my dad so many times I've been like well what if I had called him up and been like hey you said you'd give me a case of beer maybe I would have seen him one last time right like what if I hadn't wanted to get off the phone call so fast because yeah. I had just moved you know like but then there's also the like well what a nice last conversation we didn't fight he called me yeah like he just 
there's so many what ifs. And it's like she says in her letter, it's like the more you reckon with it, the trickier it becomes. Mm-hmm. And it shifts and it changes in this film so masterfully like replicates that. Yeah. Yeah. And then explores that memory. And I want to piggyback Elliot off of what you said, because it was actually that scene with him cutting the cast. That was one of the things that stuck with me. Not as much the first time, more the second watch. And it's specifically, we're cutting back and forth between Sophie reading a girl talk magazine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because she's trying to, like, she wants to be older. She's reading these magazines. Like, to me, it's like a cosmopolitan type magazine. Well, and to some degree, when you're that age, you're oblivious to yeah. what's what can actually be happening totally so she's mm-hmm. just flipping Especially through this parents and he's in we're cutting to him cutting off the cast and they're both totally not aware of what the other person is doing like they are literally mm-hmm. in separate rooms mm-hmm. in the same room mm-hmm. in separate spaces with a wall, in the between, same room, with a wall yeah. between them and there's a moment where callum asks her like hey how's that book going and clearly a book he wants her to <laughs> yeah. read and she like puts yeah. down the magazine and picks up the book but he doesn't know she's doing that. And then we linger on the shot of her just looking at the book. This wall between them. Him in the bathroom and he's bleeding. Yeah. And neither of them knows what's going on with the other person. And it just that so perfectly encapsulated for me this film. Which is that like yeah. we never know what's no. really going on with someone. And then mm-hmm. the, imme- the, the scene that immediately follows when they're on the boat. It's like for a split second you see like a hint of, a, of like the cut on his arm. Mm-hmm. like enough to be like wait what was that and then y- it doesn't show it to you again and isn't that also how that works mm-hmm. right that like especially like with Sophie like maybe she's filling in the blanks thinking like I saw it. so the cast was off and then the next day I also saw this cut on his arm like is that what was like like yeah it's like this filling in the blanks of like what was happening behind the closed doors behind the wall behind the and all we can do is try and suss it out but we mm-hmm. don't really know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and like that was that was like another big piece that stuck with me this time around. It's just like all of those moments of Callum alluding to his depression and his <sighs> death throughout the film in just those smaller moments. So like some that I that I that kind of stuck out with me this time is when they're on the boat going diving and he's talking with the the person the worker that's on the boat about how you know that worker is about to have a kid and he just turned forty and then. Callum just like offhandedly says, I didn't think I'd make it to 30. And like in the grander scheme of things, he's obviously been suffering from depression for a long time. Yeah. Um, well, you get that sense when he talks about what his 11th birthday was really like, that he's a person who's come from trauma. Mm-hmm. When they yeah. shut off, when they finally shut off the camera, mm-hmm. because he won't answer the question of when you were 11, where did you think you'd be when you were 30? She says, well, what was your 11th birthday like? And he goes, well, no one remembered it was my birthday. Mm-hmm. And then when I told them, my mom was so mad that she grabbed me by the ear and dragged me to the store. Yeah. And made me pick out a toy. That's and that's awful. that's like, I mean, I know the three of us, all three of us together and in conversations just between the two of us have had these conversations about adults in our lives where it's like, oh, we're starting to see where their traumas mm-hmm. came from. Mm-hmm. And the, and for the most part, they'll only give us these little glimpses. And then mm. we're like, oh, fuck, that's why you're the way you are. And then you're you're creating, you're filling in the story and creating the narrative the best you can with the, the fragments and the slivers that you're being given. And when she's 11, all she can focus on is, well, what toy did you pick out? Mm-hmm. Good toy. But when she's 30, it's, oh, no one remembered your birthday. Mm-hmm. Right? And we go back and we reevaluate these moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah another scene that that has a uh, a bit of that 
but also just kind of stuck out for me this time is the scene where they're lying on the bed together and Sophie's falling asleep and oh. he's just kind of like playing with her hair and they're having a conversation. It's beautiful. So did you guys notice in the credits, also I always recommend people stay for the credits, they had an intimacy coordinator. I did, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice that the first time. Yeah. And when we think intimacy coordinator, we usually think about sex scenes. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know how common it is to have an intimacy coordinator for something like this film. Mm -hmm. And if it is uncommon, how beautiful that they did. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know, Ashley, if you know this, I know, Elliot, you do that. um, Paul Mescal and Frankie Corio did like Mm -hmm. a two-week mini vacation together. (laughs) That's a vacation I want to go on. Right? So they like, you know, developed this bond and this rapport with each other. But I think obviously, A, Frankie Corio was protected on set. Mm-hmm. And like everybody was made to feel like those moments because they are so intimate mm-hmm. in like a parent-child mm-hmm. bonding way. Like mm-hmm. I say this to Elliot all the time, but when I when I would get sick because my mom worked in healthcare before she retired, she was so loving to me when I get sick. <laughs> she'd like rub my belly or she'd put me up on the table and like little bit of monk house. <laughs> <laughs> she'd like, be like, okay, let's look in your throat with the flashlight. So when I feel sick, I just want Elliot to, like, rub my belly. <laughs> like, but it's those moments of, like, that deep tenderness, intimacy and, yeah. T- yeah, tenderness that exists with a parent and a child, if you're lucky. Yeah. Um, that they really do recreate beautifully. What was it about that that stuck with you, Elliot? I think it was just, yeah, that level of kind of intimacy. Like, her, like, laying back and him just kind of, like, Playing, playing with her hair and it's just like that kind of thing of you're just laying on a bed like in the wrong direction that's just kind of how you fell and you're just having like this conversation with your with your kid and even like the moment after he took took, took off his cast and you just see his hand and then her hand like goes on top of his hand on the boat and he's just like they're just looking at each other they're not really talking like it's just those moments that just feel so real and it's Mm -hmm. it's just that it's the thought it's the thoughtless way that you're intimate with people you care about Mm -hmm. um that you miss when you can't do it anymore and you didn't know it at the time because it was just natural right like yeah that's also the conversation that he's saying to her you know you can live anywhere you want you know you can be any i think that was the first time i started crying this time around yeah Because she says, well, I like my home. And he says, that's good. Mm -hmm. You know, and like you just see that, like his hope for her that she won't feel the pain he does. And the pain he feels that he's trying to communicate to her the only way he can. And that she isn't at an age to be able to Mm -hmm. receive. Yeah. And also like, and I, I see this come up so much throughout the movie, but him trying to get this message through to her of, you have my acceptance. You can be whatever you want. Like, I support you. Like, whatever you're doing, I'm behind you. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, making sure that he's said that and had her hear that before he knows that he's going to go. Like, what both of you are saying, too, he almost can't understand how Sophie can be content because it's set up through multiple mm-hmm. lines. Like, Cal- like he Callum, he says that him and his buddy have like this new thing on the horizon or that he can't mm. like, he can't stay in the place that he grew up in. Like he mm-hmm. needs, he needs to leave. He can't mm-hmm. keep a stable relationship. Like, mm-hmm. like Sophie clearly longs for that. Mm-hmm. Like she wants him to be with someone and she doesn't want him mm-hmm. to be with her mom. She says like, why do you and mom say I love you to each other when right. you're not together? And she talks about how like 
Mom said you were engaged once. Yeah. Which meant he was on the phone with somebody else, but she got excited because she thought he was engaged. Like, mm-hmm. and we just see he hasn't been able to stay in a relationship. Yeah. And and like, and maybe that's where the Tai Chi comes in is like, maybe I can feel at peace by doing this thing. In this and moment. That's like, it's not even just the Tai Chi, like in that shot where we're looking at his reflection, the TV where it's on like the dresser mm-hmm. for like that extended shot. The books that are there are like, um, there's a book on meditation. There's a book of poetry. There's a book of um, being aware by being aware. Like yeah. you can tell that he is like fully immersing himself in like meditation and mindfulness and Tai Chi and all these things. And he's working so hard to just try to make this life bearable. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's that hunt for stillness or feeling confident or healthily complacent the way that he's seen in Sophie mm-hmm. and Sophie expressing that like, I don't want to leave or like, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fine where I am yeah. or I don't need all of these things. Like, I don't need to think about all of this. This is just me. There's even that moment at the beginning where he says like, um, how are you and your mom getting along? And she kind of looks confused. And he said, oh, like last time we talked, you said that you weren't. And then she just kind of like like kind of brushes it off and she's like oh no we're getting along fine now but then you like later when he tells the story about his mom reacting to forgetting his birthday you can tell that like the 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 concept basically mm-hmm. like the, the concept of a mother and a child not getting along holds such a different weight for him than it does for sophie yeah mm-hmm. right because in sophie's case it's like oh yeah we had some disagreements but um in in his case like it sounds like it was probably abusive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's stuck with you, Ashley? So the main like the the main thing that kind of stuck with me throughout the movie was that the persistent theme of Callum doing things in preparation for or in light of him no longer being in Sophie's life. Mm-hmm. So making sure that she has heard different things from him um, or has been taught different things or has had different experiences like when she kisses that boy for the first time or when he offers her like a sip of beer mm-hmm. right like he gets to be there for some firsts and like he, he knows that he's gonna miss a lot of others mm-hmm. um this movie well i don't have a dead parent both of my parents have a dead parent each um my dad's dad died either on his seventh or his eighth birthday so my dad was seven or eight and then my mom's mom died when she was 18 so I like I've always had this particular awareness mm-hmm. of the fact that parents can die. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've always kind of I, I think maybe like by proxy taken on a little bit of that grief mm-hmm. from each of my parents. Um, and then also the grief of having like two grandparents who I never got to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of stories that my parents have told about um, each of their respective dead parents (laughs) since I was a kid Um, but one story that I've heard over and over again um, especially from my grandma is shortly after my dad's dad died um, my grandma heard my dad who was about eight like seven or eight sitting on the steps out front um, and he was talking so my grandma just kind of poked her head outside the door and she didn't see anybody out there so then she because she thought that he was out there with one of his friends and he was just kind of sitting on the step so she asked him, she was like, oh, who is, who is here? Who are you talking to? And he said, like, oh, I was, I was just talking to dad. And the part in After Sun where they're sitting out on the dock and he's and Callum is telling Sophie, um, he says, uh, I want you to know that you can talk to me about anything as you get older, you know, because he knows that he's not going to be there as she mm-hmm. gets older. 
whatever parties you go to, boys you meet, drugs you take. And she kind of reacts and she's like, dad. Um, and he says, no, I'm serious. So if I'm done, I've done it all. So you can too. I just want you to promise that you'll talk to me about it. And I don't think he means talk with me. I think he means like in some way, like wherever, wherever I'm going, wherever I end up, I need you to promise that you'll keep me in mind and keep talking to me. And that, that was the the part of the movie that just kind of, I was having trouble squaring away like that moment. Yeah. And that just makes so much sense. It's heartbreaking. Because I think it doesn't seem like he wants to die in that moment. But also he like, he has a, a moment where he almost dies. Mm-hmm. It seems like he, he has multiple. Yeah, I I would say like I think there's multiple like there's multiple instances where he's showing a lot of recklessness. Yeah, like scuba diving without the license, or standing on that banister, or literally walking out into the ocean when you're drunk. Which which, if I'm not mistaken, like that's a euphemism for dying by suicide. Like, or not a euphemism even. Like, I think that's a. What I also noticed in that moment, though, is as he he's wearing all black, Mm -hmm. so. as the movie gets further and further along, he starts to blend in with the setting more and more. There's a moment where in the rug shop and his shirt matches I the rug. I love you for pointing that out to me because that <laughs> I I like I, I was trying really hard not to say anything. Become, like, he is he's the become the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which then and comes to represent him later on. And that's specifically what he's buying in that shop to leave with Sophie is like the, yeah. But it's not just in that moment because when they're at like the mud mm-hmm. pools, he's in all brown. Like he blends into the when they're singing him happy birthday, he literally blends into the background there. And in that moment, when he walks into the water, he's wearing all black. Mm-hmm. And he for for a second, you can't even see him at all. And it's very visually similar to the club scenes mm-hmm. where he seems to just blend into this eternal blackness. The void. But then we have this heart-wrenching scene. Where we see when he make, he doesn't die and he mm-hmm. comes back, he has written a suicide note. He's written a postcard that says... Oh, yeah, 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 the postcard. And he sees it and he is heaving, crying, mm-hmm. realizing that he almost did died on this trip, which isn't his intention. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think he's going to make it. I don't even know that he is intentionally planning to die at a specific point. He just doesn't trust that he will continue to be alive. I was having trouble connecting that point too with like where that fit that the crying scene, which like, that scene also wrecked me. Even though I couldn't really I think place it's before it, Sophie makes it makes back sense. to the room. That that makes sense. Yeah, where he realizes, or it might be the next day after mm-hmm. she's woken up. She could even be in the bathroom because it's light out. Mm-hmm. But like, but dawn he's still light naked. Out, he's still yeah. naked. Where he realizes, and then he apologizes to her for that, and for this scene broke me the first time. Mm-hmm. Which is, he keeps telling her, we have to have a fun trip. We have to have a fun trip. He makes her play water polo when she doesn't want to do it. Yeah. And he, like, picks her up and brings her in. And then the scene in the water, like, she's she's totally out of her depth. She says, like, well, I'm not that good of a swimmer. And he's like, no, you are. Mm-hmm. And she just seems aimless. And, like, she's trying to she's figure out what's going on. She's just spinning around in the pool. And she's surrounded by, like, literal grown men. <laughs> and he, like, literally dragged her into the pool. Yeah. And then she tries to do the same thing to him with karaoke. <laughs> where she signed their names up. Don't bring up that scene. Oh, it broke. It was. It was the first time I cried. <sighs> the first time in the film because it reminded me of a lot of moments with yeah. my own dad. Where like he just totally 
broke my trust. Yeah. And in retrospect, he didn't know any, he wasn't capable of doing any better. And that fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. But it was all he had Mm -hmm. at the time. And it's just like Callum is not able to bring himself out of his depression in that moment. Mm -hmm. And she thinks she's got this like child hopefulness Mm-hmm. That when she gets down, he will show up. He'll he'll just like when she played the water polo, he will come mm-hmm. down and sing with her. And she's like egging mm-hmm. him on and you know, like motioning for him to come up. And he he just like stares at her and takes another gulp of beer. Mm-hmm. And it's that night mm-hmm. that that happens. And they have this really awful conversation. Mm-hmm really hurtful but honest conversation where what does he say to her he says you know we could get you sitting singing lessons right if you want. oh you yeah and you gasped or like sighed because it's just what, awful it's, it's, like he, he knows he just hurt her and he's trying to go back to their playful joyfulness which that was key technique of my dad when he had disappointed me he would then try and brush it off with a joke mm-hmm. um and she says why do you keep doing that offering to pay for things you can't afford mm-hmm and then that's when he's like, well, I'm going up for bed. Let's call it an early night. And she says, I'm going to stay down here. And that's the night he almost dies. Well, it just enters. It just kind of brings in this whole section of the film where Callum just feels thoughtless. Yeah. And like the scene, the scene that really upset me last, the first time we watched it and this time is, is that scene where Sophie, Sophie finally gets into the room and he's naked on the bed. Cause like that just feels it feels just so, again, just thoughtless and disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Well, and, he's gotten this, and, this extra bed for him. He's supposed to be sleeping in that bed. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't sleep naked when you're with your kid. There, to some degree, the contract of being a parent is to kind of keep up this exterior to some degree for, mm-hmm. the, for the sake of your child's well-being. Because like that is like when that starts to happen as you age, like when you start to see the cracks in the facade of your parents, and you start to see them as real people. It's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. So I think like, especially with a child that young, that's part of the contract is you keep it together. But so it brings up for me um, in early or mid-September, some of our friends from Sick Boy Podcast were here doing a live show Mm -hmm. and we all went to it, three of us Mm -hmm. and some other friends. And they had on um, a Uh, guest who does like grief education. Yeah. And one of the things he said is, you speak to your children in age-appropriate truth. Yes. And Callum is not succeeding at that. No, no, no. And yeah, when I, when I say he's breaking, like, you should keep that facade up. I don't mean that, like, you can't yeah, emote like, in front of your children, but it needs to be age-appropriate. age-appropriate. Yeah, so have those conversations. Like, you don't need to be all perfect all the time, but, but the way you speak about it needs to be age-appropriate. But naked. In her bed, pissed Passed drunk, out, yeah. And have locked her out of the room. No. So, you got to wait until she's uh, at least 14 to do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about one last thing that stuck with me, and I am trying really hard to make Elliot cry. Uh-oh. He has, I think, cried, but not audibly. <laughs> um, so something that really stuck with me this time, but didn't the first time, is yes, the music is very time, like 1990 specific, but the lyrics to the songs... Are you kidding me? Yeah. So I want to talk about a couple. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. uh-huh. There's a, one of the early ones is a song called Tender by Blur. Some of the lyrics are, I'm waiting for that feeling, waiting for that feeling to come. Come on, come on, get through it. Love's the greatest thing that we have. Uh-huh. Um, there's 
a karaoke singer right before that really brutal scene singing Unchained Melody and we hear, oh, my yeah. love, my darling, I hunger for your touch. Yeah. Which like can be this in this context of mm-hmm. parent, parent child love well, like more more lyrics to that song because i quite like that song <laughs> is um time goes by so slowly mm-hmm. and time can do so much mm-hmm. let's take a second to talk about losing my religion which is what she <laughs> sings i think that's the most like hmm, let's serve it on a silver platter Right, like life is bigger than you and you are not me the lengths that i will go to the distance in, in your eyes and later on, losing my religion, trying to keep up with you, I think I thought I saw you try. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like but that was just, just a dream. But that was just a dream. Just a dream. Just a dream, yeah. right? Like, yeah. And to me, losing my religion is like, in that moment, because this is the moment that resonated mm-hmm. me with my own dad, who was so like Callum in that he was loving and playful, but had so many demons of his own that I didn't recognize. Mm-hmm. And I did more by the time he died. I was 21. But I wasn't able to reckon with that mm-hmm. and how his traumas had made him behave in certain ways that then created trauma for me. Mm-hmm. He never abused me, mm-hmm. but some of his behaviors have left deep wounds in me. You got hit by like the shrapnel. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of his yeah. trauma. And at 21, I, I, I knew some of that, but I, I didn't understand the complexity mm-hmm. of it. And I'm still working with that, but that line of losing my religion, mm-hmm. it's like losing my like just uncritical devotion to you. Faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the faith in you mm-hmm. as like the dad I can trust. Mm-hmm. And that moment where she's singing that and looking at him and he does not come up and sing with her. Mm-hmm. She's losing her faith in him. Mm-hmm. Kind of comes full circle to what you mentioned about life of pie and what you teach to your yeah, students. Yeah, exactly. I want to find that real quote. Um but I want to talk about some more lyrics. Yeah. So then, I mean, we have Tub Thumping by Chumba Wumba, right? Like, <laughs> I get knocked down, but I get up again. But still the lyrics. I get knocked true. down, but I get up again. That's true. And it's focused on Sophie yeah. at that moment. There's also, um, I didn't hear this song, but it is on the soundtrack list. Uh-huh. It's called Real Gone Kid by Deacon Blue. And some of the lyrics are, I'll show you all the photographs that I ever got took and it scattered all the photographs and you're a real gone kid i cried and i craved and i put away those souvenirs but i think we have to talk about under pressure because i'll never listen okay so the day after we saw this movie for the first time i uh so when i had gotten home that night i there he asked me how the movie was and i just started crying (laughs) and then i just kind of kept crying um and he was pretty alarmed he was like are you okay? What what was this movie? So then um, that went on for a little while, which we were all texting each other during that time. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God. I, I just thought it Oh my is. God in this. Ah. So the next morning I woke up and uh, we, were, we were both awake and I had gotten out of bed before Perry. And um, I was just kind of like putting t- back together my side of the bed. And I had under pressure stuck in my head. And I was kind of like, um, just like coming along to it. Just like, do-do-do-do-do-do. And then I just started to slow down like, and I like was looking out the window like of our bedroom, which like gazes out onto this like bleak field. And I was just staring at this window and then like tears just started streaming down my face. And the whole time Perry's watching this happen. And after a minute, I realized he's watching and I like break my gaze and I like look at him and he just has this look of like pure concern. Like, are you OK? And I was like, it's the movie again. <laughs> 
this he is, this hates is what, what this movie has done to you. <laughs> this is what happens when you get into relationships with a bunch of emo, yeah, a bunch of emo cry babies. Yeah. I know we talked about this on the show, maybe, but he came to everything ever all at once with us and did not cry. Yeah. And then, like when he realized all three of us had cried, he's like, "You all cried?" Yeah, 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 yeah. I think this one would get him. Like he wants to see this, but he thinks he needs to see, needs to see it at home because dad stuff really gets Ugh. him. Not because like his dad is dead or anything. He just really loves his. Your dad, dad doesn't <laughs> have to be dead for this movie to get you. <gasps> Yeah. But I need to talk about some specific lyrics and under, yes, pressure. under pressure. So the last part of the song, and so for context, this scene is one of the best scenes I've seen in anything in my life. It's like the confrontation in the void where throughout the film, these cut scenes in this like dance club that represent, mm-hmm. I agree with Sam Adams, mm-hmm. um, that this is this liminal space where she can like visit with her father. Samuel Adams, Boston Lager. I do agree with the beer. Okay. <laughs> the beer speaking. Boston Lager himself. Boston Lager himself. Um, but she's been like trying to get to her dad throughout yeah. these cut scenes or watching him from afar. And this is the mm-hmm. first moment they're together and it's mm-hmm. intercut with Callum asking Sophie to dance. Like it, in one of the last moments on their trip. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for part of it, she's screaming at him mm-hmm. in this void as an well, adult. And they're colliding. Yeah. And she's like, it's like he's trying to get away and she's trying to hold him or she's trying to like yeah. fight with him. Like yeah. it's it's really ambiguous because there's flashing yeah. lights. So the lyrics at this point are, because love's such an old-fashioned word, and love dares you to care for the people on the edge of the night, mm-hmm. and love dares you to change our way of caring about ourselves. This is our last dance. This is our last dance. This is ourselves. Well, and the thing that makes it even harder hitting is that in this scene, like, they strip out all the music. Mm-hmm. So it stops becoming a song, starts to become becoming like a plea. A chant. Yeah. To Callum. Well, that's where they can't we give ourselves one more chance? Why can't we give love that one more chance? Why can't we give love, 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 give love? Yeah. So it's just like becomes this just like this is what she needs. This is what she's like begging for. And it's just wrapped up in all this emotion. And it becomes like this plea, not only visually, but audibly as well. And yeah, it's okay, it's so powerful. Do you really want to cry though? Because the last line of the movie is I love you. Oh. And I love that. Like love's such an old-fashioned word and love dares you to care for the people on the edge of the night. And love dares you to change our way of caring about ourselves. Because isn't that what this film's about? How like through yeah. reflecting on her relationship with her dad and who her dad was, she can learn to care for herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not become that person at the edge of the world. Mm-hmm. That scene, I don't even think I realized that it was happening. That, like, sobs just started tumbling out of me. Like, that was... Like, heaving, hollowing sobs. It really starts for me when we see her screaming at him. Because I think when someone's gone, <sighs> you want to yell at them. You want to be like, why did you go? Mm-hmm. What, like, you know, we just, um, we just rewatched Interstellar. Mm-hmm. And there's some dad-daughter stuff in that. And there's this scene with the daughter speaking to her dad. And he is able to hear it, but she doesn't know if he can. And she says, did you know? Did you know, dad? Like, we have these questions when someone's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, 
And all we can do is scream them into mm-hmm. a void. Into the void. <laughs> and then try and reckon with them and care for ourselves anyway. Mm-hmm. And not get caught up in that anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so hard to, like... It's It's so... It's so interesting for me, like from my perspective and like my relationship with my dad, who is not dead, but he he essentially broke my family by cheating on my mom. And a bunch of a bunch of truths came out about him that made him not the person that I thought he was and who I grew up, you know, who I grew up thinking this is the model of what a good man is. So I should strive for this. And then being having that rug pulled out from under me in adulthood, finding out that he is not that person at all. And thinking of like, you know, to what you were saying, Kylie, about the last time or the question you asked of like, what was, what was the last time that you, or the last memory of your dad? And it's just painted with so much discomfort and anger and, like we're we're not on speaking terms as of this recording and i i don't have any desire to pursue a relationship with him but you know it this film makes me confront i i do miss an aspect of him but at the same time i'm not ready to pursue anything with him like i i don't and it, you know and it's such a com- such a complicated thing for me too cuz like Kylie, you've lost your dad so mm-hmm. is there am i going to have regret if my dad were just all of a sudden die he's also fundamentally just not a person that is aligned with who i am as a person now like we we don't mesh we wouldn't mesh well and it's like that's a whole nother kind of grief that this Mm -hmm. film stirs up in me of just like Mm -hmm. (sighs) when you've been through that process of reevaluating your memories of your dad in a new light Mm -hmm. yeah and I know that if I wanted to pursue a relationship with him, it would have to be this version that is so different. And just, I would have to be willing to allow certain things to slide because he, just because of the kind of person he has shown himself to be. You know, there's conversations he's not ready to have and might never be ready to have. Yeah. And I, if I want to have a relationship with him, I have to accept that. And that's, like this movie makes me confront that too. Cause like on the one hand, I just want to be like, I would love it if I was, be, w- was able to be close with my dad. And, you know, I, I know that he wants, I know that if I called him today and was like, can you come here? Like, and help me with something that he would be here. No problem. But like, that's just the nature of the things. Like as in this whole conversation that we've been having, like you start to realize the faults in your parents and like you start seeing the things that like fuck them up and then the mm-hmm. things that they do that in turn fuck you up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, the, like the whole under pressure scene, like I feel that pain. I feel that's, that's sort of like the way that she's screaming at Callum in the void. I felt that without yeah. having actually lost a parent and I think there's just something so fundamentally human about the way that this film plays out and the, the feelings that it leaves you with at the end, that whether or not you've lost important people in your life, 
you can still feel those things and Mm. understand those things and go through the stages of grief that you mentioned, Kylie, that you can have at the end of this film, no matter what. Mm. Yeah. Unless you're the one other person that was in the theater with us today who just walked out of the theater (laughs) and was like, Like yeah, nothing can happen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The, the final scene of this movie is just like, I think that that's the major thing that will stick with me forever. And I, th- what something that struck me is, I'm really interested in grief, like just just personally, because I'm a person who's like interested in emotions, <laughs> um, and like different human experiences. But also, um, as an artist, a lot of my painting practice is born out of mm. grief and loss, and kind of dealing with whatever ghosts that we've been left with in people's wake um and there's something that happens um like when when you experience grief um i I can't like i i don't know where i would have read this or what i could source it to but um it's it said that the first six minutes after finding out that somebody has died like you don't have control over that part of your grief response it's a physiological response to a loss it is like a animal response to losing somebody that you don't have control over it Mm. tumbles out of you and i think anybody who's like lost somebody um knows what that involuntary guttural response uh feels like or looks like and this movie is one of the only things i've experienced that has replicated that animal response to loss when i found out that my dad had died um i was in a night class at university and my mom called me and left a message and said i know you're in class don't call me back until you're home Mm -hmm. and i knew something was wrong and Mm -hmm. i took the train home and i was just like somebody's died or my sister had a miscarriage or something's happened Mm -hmm. And I ran into her roommate, Elliot, and me were living with her roommate at the time on the bus. And I was so panicked about what had happened mm-hmm. that I was like, she was with some friends. And I was like, I can't. I can't. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't even walk back to her house with her. And Elliot wasn't home. I think he was at work. It was like 930 at night. Mm-hmm. And I went into her room and I called my mom and she told me. Mm-hmm. And I, I lost it. Yeah. And Elliot wasn't home yet. And I think when I when you got home, our roommate said like something happened and I don't know what. Because all she could do was hear me like keening. And I don't even remember. Like Elliot, do you remember walking into the room? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure I was just a mess. Yeah. And like I didn't know what to do but to just be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean like in a in a different way too. Like for me. Like the day that my dad called me, like I, and even the way he went about it was just so brutal. He's just like, he called me and he's just like, hey, yeah, your mom and I are done. I did this and this and this. And, and then I hung up the phone and you were in bed, I think. It's, it, this always seems to happen in bed. <laughs> but I came, I came up to the bedroom. Solution never sleep. Yeah. <laughs> never go into your bedroom. <laughs> and I came up to the, and it, like, and it was the opposite, right? You were like a daze. 
Yeah. I was like, what's mm. going on? Like that. And that's just like so true of like us, like externalize mm. and internalize. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, and I just kind of, I feel like very robotically was just like, yeah, my, my parents are breaking up. Like, like they're done. Uh, and I just didn't know what to do with that. And like, and then there's this whole other level of it for you too. Cause it's like, you lost your dad. So my dad was like the next father figure for you closest mm-hmm. thing to that. So like, it's this whole other weird way of, gr- of grief and losing things too. There's also this question of like, how do you, how do you deliver that news? I love that this, I love, I really respect that this movie creates it as a feeling instead of us seeing a death or definitively being told about a death. Like, yeah. One of the most heartbreaking things I've ever heard in my life is my mom said to me, I had to call each of my children and tell them their dad was dead. And I felt like the worst mother in the world. Yeah. Because she found out from my dad's dad, from my grandpa. And Uh then she called each of us. Uh And it was like a stormy night, I think, because it was in January. And she's like, I wanted wanted (sighs) to drive out and tell each of you, but she lives outside of about half an hour away from all of us. Mm -hmm. My one sister lived in Calgary at the time. And she's like, but I needed you guys to know right away. Mm-hmm. I think my brother was the only one she got to tell in person. <sighs> I think of like, just to kind of, to contrast your experience, but I think what always, or you weren't supposed to lose your dad at 21. No. Like you just weren't, right? Um, and like the major loss that I've experienced in my life was my grandpa and like, like grandpas are supposed to die. I was supposed to lose my grandpa. Like that's the way that things are supposed to happen. Ideally, like, yeah, not the other way around. Um, and I was really, really close to my grandpa. Like my grandparents are like my second parents. Um, I grew up two minutes away from them. Um, I couldn't, like I got kicked out of daycare basically when I was like a little kid. Um, because now we know I, <laughs> I had ADHD. Um, just a rotten child. <laughs> oh, I was a lot. So, um, my grandparents were, um, they were my like caretakers during the day. So they really were like a second set of parents to me. Um, and when I was, I was 21 as well, actually. That's interesting. Um, when I was 21, my grandpa was diagnosed with terminal cancer and he was 83. That's like a healthy, ripe old age. Um, he was really at peace with dying. So while it was devastating news that he was sick, um, I feel like the months that followed, um, there was a lot of like peacemaking and there was time to like air quotes prepare because anybody who's been through like a loss knows you can't <laughs> necessarily prepare for that. And there was a real sense of peace leading up to it that like, um, like we're so lucky that like we we got a warning basically that we got to say goodbye and got to have like this long drawn out time to kind of say what was unsaid and ask these questions like like I got a chance to do that right like I got a chance to tell him things that I never told him before and ask him things that I never asked him before and I felt so prepared and then uh, like 10 days before he died my grandma asked uh, my sister and I to come and visit him at the hospital um and when we when we got there, he said, like, this is this is the last time you're going to see me. Like, I don't want anybody coming back after this. Like, I, I need it to just be like, I just need to be like by myself and like with your grandma. Um, So like, I need to say goodbye to you. I need you to know that this is the last time that we're going to see each other. So like, I got 
to say goodbye. Like I got that full warning, all that. And then uh, we were just kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. Um, and then it was a Friday night. I had just gone home from work and I was like at my parents' house um, and my dad got the phone call and he just kind of turned to us or turned like my mom and I, we were um, standing in their bedroom. He just turned to us and quietly said like, I just died like when he got off the phone and even though for three months we had been preparing for it and we had said our goodbyes and said all that was unsaid and he was so at peace with going I still like absolutely wailed like I've never made that sound before and it's it's not something that we have control over and it doesn't matter if we got to um, if we got to prepare for it or if the only thing we have is looking back after the fact with a knowledge of what that time actually was or what that time would actually come to signify, um, like you're never, you're, there's, there's no way that your brain can ever prepare or be okay with losing somebody that you love. What this film does is create that as a feeling. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't tell us there's only one way to see this narrative. Yeah. Through this like recurrence of memory and footage and rewinding and going back and forth in this use of that liminal space, we are able to feel it. It's beautiful. Well, and there's so much breathing room in this in this film there's so much quiet space in this film to just sit with it and i think that the end credits has has this really (laughs) understated score that they play at the very end and it's so good but it's it's so it's so reflective and it's so calm and gentle yeah the um Workers really wanted us to hightail it out of there, though. They did not want us to sit with our tears and our sniffles and listen to the reflective music. (laughs) But they did. (laughs) They had to. They had to listen to us go, her dad's dead. (laughs) (laughs) I did say if anybody was talking during the movie because we know someone who went and saw it and people were talking throughout the whole thing. Brutal. I was like, I'm going to turn around and be like, my dad's dead. (laughs) Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Let's, um... That was beautiful, you guys. Yeah. Lots of tears, lots of shares. Yeah. So lots, lots of deep sighs. <laughs> Let's do a daddy deep How did dive. After Sun make you feel? <sighs> <sighs> That's going to be gross yeah. to edit. I mean, just <laughs> hot breath on the microphone. Okay. Daddy deep dive. Yeah. So on our regular show, we name bad dads and rad dads from the films we watched. But since this is a daddy deep dive, we're going to look at who we think the dad of this film was Callum and talk about Callum just a little bit, just a little bit more. And without the stricture of bad or rad, because we know that that binary is false Mm -hmm. and we know it's more complex and slippery and messy than that. Mm -hmm. And so while we did name Callum rad dad in our episode, in this deep dive, we're going to look at the messiness of Callum and how he relates to the concept of dad for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of talked around it because we wanted to stay spoiler free when we named him Rad Dad of the Week. But I think, you know, Callum is a complicated person. He's imperfect. 
Um, and he, we see so much love in Callum that he has for his daughter. And even the people around him, like, I don't think, like, he expresses that he loves his ex-partner, who is Sophie's mom. Mm-hmm. And that he is capable of love and expressing that love. But he can't navigate love for himself and mm-hmm. giving himself the love that he needs and what he probably deserves. And it just, it it really highlights the push and pull of depression and its effects that it has on someone. But I think that's what makes Callum a really, really great and real, really realistic character in that it's not all just like, it's not all gloss mm-hmm. and it's not all dirt. It's he's a complicated person mm-hmm. that has highs and lows mm-hmm. that affect himself, that affect the people around him, and can have last and have lasting effects. Um, but ultimately, I think that he's a good dad. Well, you—that's the big thing—is when he does have those lows or when he does hurt someone, you see how much it hurts him too, mm-hmm. and then what he does to to like reconcile that or apologize for that or yeah address it yeah like there is reflection there mm-hmm. he, it's a moment where he apologizes to her and it's like she says oh it's no big deal and he goes no it is yeah and i'm really sorry yeah like mm-hmm. that is the grade a accountability yeah i would have given for my dad to ever <laughs> say anything like that which he was never capable of of saying i hurt you mm-hmm. and i am sorry and that's and a it big was a deal, big deal and i'm sorry yeah mm-hmm. and that's i think yeah the sticking point with your dad too. Mm -hmm. That it's like everything that he did was because it it was all a bunch of factors that made him do that thing. Yeah. And Mm. it was not his doing. Mm. So he doesn't have anything to apologize for. My dad loved to say he made my life more interesting. (laughs) I was like, I get to say that, but you don't get to say that. I'm sorry, but you're welcome. A hundred percent. One of the last razzle dazzle. One of the last times I saw him in person, he's like, "Yeah, I know I've been to jail and like stuff, but you're a really interesting person because of it." And I'm like, "Cool." Um, to be clear, my dad was not in jail for hurting anyone. He was in jail for things that are legal now. <laughs> the irony of it all. I yeah. get to have a podcast called Bad Dad, Rad Dad. You don't. Get- <laughs> <laughs> I get to exploit my trauma for yeah. for listens from. Some people. I listen. You listen. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. In real time. You time. do listen in real time. Um, one of the things that is so tough about Callum, and I think it can be really reflected in some of the relationships we have with dad figures or dads in our own lives, is that he does so deeply love her and he wants her to know that he loves her. But how do we reckon how do we reconcile that love with the hurt? Um, there was a quote that I heard in regards to suicide, like quite a few years ago. Um, and it's always like really changed the way that I think about it and understand someone who's in that position. Um, and it goes something along the lines of when you have depression or you're struggling with depression, um, it's like being in an apartment that's on fire. And at some point, Going out the window and over the balcony is a better option than staying in the apartment and burning alive. So to me, like that's that's where all of my empathy comes from is just knowing that 
like Callum was in that apartment and he was about to burn alive. Like that, that's, that's the state of like emotional. And he's trying that he was in. And you can't ask somebody to stay there and keep. He's doing the best he can. Full stop. He's doing Mm -hmm. the best he's able to do. Yeah. Which is pretty good. Even our best parents are, you know, messing us up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do think that there's quite a bit to be said for his concern for what he's going to leave Sophie because he he knows and he's you can see him reckoning with the knowledge that he's going to leave her in like emotional ruin. Right. So he's making sure that he has those conversations, that he teaches her things, that he's getting something to leave her with. And I think in a lot of ways, to some degree, that becomes like. It becomes a gift in in some ways, like I think of. Um, like going back again to my, my parents, who have their parents. Um, before my mom's mom died, she told her um, whenever it's wet and windy, you'll know that I'm with you. And that's such a gift because on those days that it's like it's shitty and it's rainy and you're like, it's cold. It's like, oh, okay. she's here with me. And then like other special things have happened with that. Like, um, like on the night that I was born, it was wet and windy. And like most of my birthdays, my entire life, it's been and granted. I was born in late June. So like, <laughs> in Alberta. like chicken, chicken or the egg, you know, um, but, you know, every single birthday when it's shitty out and it's pouring rain and it's cold and the wind is whipping, that's such a comfort to me because that's something that she left with us. Mm-hmm. And Callum does that both through that conversation of like, promise me you'll talk to me. Like, I will always love you. I will always, I will always want be to hear with you. you. Yeah. yeah. And through the rug. Like, he buys her this really expensive rug mm-hmm. that he cannot afford but also he doesn't care that he can't afford it because he, he knows he's not going to be around. Either. And we see her having it under her bed as an mm-hmm. adult. Mm-hmm. Like she still has that rug with her. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's so complicated. Like, you know, the things I have of my dad's, he didn't leave me, mm-hmm. but I have. Like he always wore a St. Christopher medal and my mom gave it mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also got a cross necklace even though i'm not religious at all mm-hmm. i wanted one when i was little because my dad had one <laughs> so i do not wear it yeah, yeah, yeah. but i have it i got it when he was still alive but you mm-hmm. know the but the things i do have that wreck me when i find them are he he left a lot of notes he was a real note mm-hmm. lever like oh i didn't oh it's and i i've kept every like i keep all those things like i have mm-hmm. valentine's day cards from like kindergarten yeah me too me too so every once in a while, I dig through this big Tupperware of like all the letters and cards mm-hmm. anyone has ever given me that actually say something on them. Yeah. And my dad was the type of person that like if I asked him to like pick up Advil for me, mm-hmm. he'd leave it on the counter in the morning because he worked nights mm-hmm. with a note mm-hmm. on like a receipt. Mm-hmm. And I've, you know, I've just found things that just say like, here's your CD I burned for you with the songs you wanted, like love you. Mm-hmm. He always did that. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think to some degree my dad probably knew he wasn't long for this world. He Never, treated yeah. himself terribly. Like, mm. he was on prescription drugs. He was doing other kinds mm. of drugs. He was drinking all the time. 
he didn't take care of himself. Well, and he had had a near fatal accident. Like I think experiencing something like that tells you how fragile. Yeah. And how fragile life is and how quickly you can be gone. Right. Like I don't think that like somebody like I, I have several friends who have had like major accidents like that or experiences like that. And it just that doesn't leave you. No. Right. That, that oh, and knowledge. He talked about it a lot. Yeah. And so I think like in many ways, my dad's he gave me the only gifts he could. He couldn't apologize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he couldn't take accountability. And that's why there was a rift for a long time. But mm-hmm. he always told me he loved me and he left notes. And he even the last time I talked to him, made sure that I knew that. Mm hmm. And I'm really thankful for that because that's a gift mm-hmm. that not everybody gets. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that's at the end of the day, like, you know, we have this bad dad, rad dad and the jokes so that we're looking for dads better than our own. But my dad so reflects Callum to me in that he was the best dad and the worst mm-hmm. dad. Mm-hmm. Like he was both of those things combined. Mm-hmm. And had so many demons and traumas of his own and for sure had depression. And I didn't mm-hmm. know that until later in life mm-hmm. um, until he was already gone. Mm-hmm. And I just think like, even though Callum does hurtful things and makes big mistakes and in the end, I'm sure there's moments that the character of Sophie would feel like he chose to leave her. Yeah. Yeah. He tries so hard with every m- strength he has which mm-hmm. is not always a lot mm-hmm. to be the best dad he can mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just that sometimes a person's best is still hurtful yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah completely mm-hmm. and i think that's at the end of the day what differentiates a bad dad from a rad dad is like mm-hmm. that with what strength you have you try and do good and try to make sure that the child you're caring for is taken care of like while they are in your care and then beyond when they are in your care what are you leaving them with whether it's like lessons or words or things so that's probably a good point to ask what will be our final question of a daddy deep dive which is what will you carry with you from after son well for me It'll be the power that this film harnessed in its simplicity mm-hmm. from having only two incredibly talented leads mm-hmm. in Paul Mescal and uh, Frankie Corio as Sophie to the film techniques used from the camcorder mm-hmm. to go through all of these memories, the music, the super understated music of the soundtrack but also the soundtrack that's actually used and just the simplicity in its representation of grief and how relatable it is. And I go back to the word, how humid it is. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we can all relate to in some way Mm -hmm. or recognize in some way, whether or not you've lost someone in your life. Um, We all experience grief in some form. And I think that this, hits the nail on the head and will resonate within me for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Ashley, what will you carry with you? I think it's a tie between, um, like Elliot said, it's the way that it's kind of harnessed. It's representation of grief. And then also the way that, especially on like um, 
second, third, 50th watches, it's encouraging us to find significance in details. Um, and that's something, again, because I have, I have two parents who each lost a parent and I grew up with that knowledge. It kind of instilled this very unique kind of anxiety in me that, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God, parents can die. <laughs> so um, I very much, I think, had the same kind of anxiety that your dad had that like every single time I talked to one of my parents or when we went to bed or whatever, like we have, we had to say, I love you Mm -hmm. have to say, because what if it's the last time? What if it's the last time? What if it's the last time? And, um, I think in some ways that can devolve into, um, anxiety. Um, but in other ways that can evolve into like a presence and a caring for people when they are with us, when they're in front of us. Even if we might not have the benefit of hindsight um, in the moment to take in those quiet, those mundane moments, like the the sunscreen moments, the cheerio moments, um, so that one day when we need them, we have them. What are you, Kylie? <laughs> we saved you. Oh, the one we with the you dead dad, you guys. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm going to echo a lot of what you said, but it's, I'm just going to carry with me like, the beautiful and complex gift that is grief mm-hmm. and how art, but in this case film, can help us to crack open that grief mm-hmm. and give visual language. Like I, I'm not exaggerating when I say I've never felt more seen by a film. Yeah, like I it gave it. visual language to things I, I don't think I've even talked about with you, Elliot. Like I just have carried in me and it like cracked that open. Mm-hmm. And just, I'm going to carry with me that reminder that grief is a gesture of love. It's a way that we continue to show our love for someone. Mm-hmm. And that? we need to keep talking about it. What's, yeah. What's yeah. that quote from WandaVision? Uh, grief is just what love is, what persisting. Is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. totally true. I gotta cry one last time. And I think that's (laughs) another gift that it's like that this film has given us is it's given us a an end to talk about grief with each other. Yeah, and I think I think just like like societally, that's something that's just not talked about um, enough. But yeah, like even yeah, like amongst like close friends, like that's my siblings and I have rarely talked about my dad's death other than Mm -hmm. dad's dead. Take them on a field trip. Don't tell them what you're saying. <laughs> Just kidding. Ooh. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't That'd do that. That'd be so mean. Nope, that's cruel. Um, but I, yeah, I'm so, I'm so thankful for this film. And I'm also just incredibly thankful for seeing it with you two mm-hmm. both times because mm-hmm. I'm never going to forget the moment we all were just breaking down and then there was just a Kleenex beside me yeah. from you, Ash, and then yeah. another one to hand to Elliot. Yeah. And it was just this like wave, but yeah. of Kleenex. Yeah. We were doing the wave, but of I'm a big Kleenex carrier. Yeah. 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 I'm a Kleenex carrier. And I really, I think it's really special that I was able to experience something that was so deeply personal with two people I trust really, really deeply Mm -hmm. so that I could allow myself to be cracked open in that way. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. I feel like if I had seen it in a different context or with different people, I would have had to shut that down. And so I'm really thankful to both of you guys. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. so much. You're very special yeah. people to me. Mm-hmm. Special too. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. A special to me too. This movie's a gift. It is. Yeah. I love it so much. Sniffle, sniffle, sniffles deep. Size. It's a gift that should come with a side of Kleenex. <laughs> Why are they not? You know how they provide vomit bags that like terrify her too? Why don't they have Kleenex after sun? That should be um, an A24 merch item is like pocket Kleenex packs that are like after sun branded. Don't give them any more ideas. They're monsters. Take more of your money. <laughs> huh. Well, that was our first daddy deep dive. Yeah. It was a deep dive. It was a deep dive. Yeah. We entered the spoiler zone and we came out in the tear zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It turns out it's wet. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Splish splash. Oh, yeah. Thank you both so much for Thank you both. For doing this. Um, yeah, this was this was really fun and emotional and a great way to dive into a, a new format for our show. Which um, we will not be doing every week. Yeah, this episodes like this will be very sporadic. Not enough Kleenex in the world. <laughs> this these will be special, selective surprises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we find films that are worthy of a deep dive, we will feature them. We here. will deep dive. But between those, you can listen to our regular episodes of Bad Dad, Rad Dad. Every Thursday, a new episode drops, and until those drop. You can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. Share your stories of After Sun and how it made you feel and what your response to it was. We would love to hear from you and engage with you on that. Um, what will you carry with you? Yeah. Or even, like, what about sharing, like, like your last, last time? When was the last time you saw your dad? Mm-hmm. Or just some, somebody, <laughs> like... When was the last time you saw somebody? Like, what what does seeing somebody for the last, last time? Yeah. What's your story? Because I think the more that we talk about this, the more that we'll realize that everybody has a last time. Well, it's it's carrying this heavy burden of grief. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? And the more that you share, like, that we share it with each other and have those moments of, like, oh, me too. We can perform that loving gesture of grief together. Yeah. And, uh, and And have each other's backs. And our Instagram can be the vessel for all of those <laughs> yeah. conversations. So please find us at baddad.raddad. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, you know, or if you're a total psychopath and you haven't seen After Sun yet, but listen to this whole episode, <laughs> tell us what you think of it once you go see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you can also get a sneak peek of what we've been watching. In the meantime, on our individual letterboxed accounts, uh, we'll have those accounts in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. So that is going to do it for these weepy peepees this week. <laughs> <laughs> so, till next time. Thank you so much, Ashley, for being here. Can't wait Thanks for you for to come back again. And I'm Kylie, and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot, and my dad's a deadbeat. But, but remember, remember, not, not all, all dads, dads have to be bad. bad.